A recently released report outlines how CIA intelligence failures left us unprepared for 9-11. Could more have been done to prevent the attacks? We'll talk to the author of the book, Holy War on the Home Front. And was JFK's death the undoing of liberalism? We'll talk to an expert. This is Jerry Johnson live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Well, you know, the religious right for years has tried to recreate Jesus in their own image first. They try to make him into a gun-toting, immigrant-bashing, uh, tax-cutting, right-wing <laughs> conservative, and that hasn't worked. Now they're trying to recreate Well, that's Thomas enough Jeff. of that. That's Alan Dershowitz. He's written a book called Blasphemy, How the Religious Right Has Hijacked the Declaration of Independence. What you just heard was an exclusive interview that I had with him this morning. And we're going to play the entire interview on Friday. You do not want to miss the show. But I think he might have been talking about me or you, Penna, here so. when he says the religious right. It was a fascinating interview. And we've already scheduled David Barton to uh, refute, to rebut, and to answer the claims of Mr. Dershowitz. People do not want to miss, you do not want to miss, that show this Friday night at 5 o'clock sharp. He made some strong statements. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Dallas Morning News today, Wayne Slater's article talks about some of the Republican activists in the area who are actually throwing their support behind or thinking about supporting Rudy Giuliani. There must be public funding for abortions for poor women. We cannot deny any woman the right to make her own decision about abortion because she lacks resources. This article in the Dallas Morning News today talks about some Republican activists. People I know are pro-life, pro-family uh, people saying that terrorism is the new litmus test. We're going to talk about that. What do you think about it? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. What's more important, a pro-life candidate or a tough-on-terror candidate? All right, folks, that number is 800-881-9270. We'll start taking those calls in a minute. But here's why this issue is front and dinner center. A lot of... A lot of news today about terrorism. In fact, Osama bin Laden is still alive, according to a top Taliban commander today. He says he's got video from June 15, 2007, and that bin Laden is still alive. Here's President Bush today 
on the battle in Iraq, why it's so important to stay the course. He was speaking to the veterans of foreign wars. It's a central front for the enemy that attacked us and wants to attack us again. And it's a central front for the United States, and to withdraw without getting the job done would be devastating. So the president says that Iraq is the central front on the war against terrorism, all kinds of terrorism news today. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But is voting for someone like Giuliani, who could be tough on terror, more important than voting for someone who is pro-life? The number 800-881-9270. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But uh, something coming up at the half-hour, Penna, that people will find interesting. Well, we're going to talk about John F. Kennedy. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Amazingly enough, that's JFK speaking 50 years ago this summer, talking about our reaction to the launch, uh, the Russian launch of the Sputnik. But we have an author coming up at 5.30 today to talk about the change in liberalism. He says that the assassination of JFK changed liberalism. Uh, Used to be liberals that were a little more hawkish, tough, uh, national security-wise. Not so much anymore. That ought to be an interesting interview. And we're going to hear directly from Ronald Reagan in his own words about JFK. And we want to know where you were the day that he was assassinated, what you felt when you heard the president had been shot. All of that coming up at the half hour. But first, here again is Rudy Giuliani. There must be public funding for abortions for poor women. We cannot deny any woman the right to make her own decision about abortion because she lacks resources. All right. He got applause. What do you think of that? Because um, I think you're going to have to make a decision out there. Today, a poll comes out showing that Giuliani beats Hillary Clinton if the election were today. It also shows that Fred Thompson would beat Hillary Clinton. But Giuliani still considered the front runner. Penny, you've mentioned some of these leading conservative Christian activists who are, who are mm-hmm. saying they're looking at Giuliani. But James Dobson has said under no circumstances would he vote for Giuliani. Richard Land has said he would not even consider voting for Rudy Giuliani. But we see today the Taliban chief saying that bin Laden is alive. I mean, we've got a terror threat. We're going to talk in the second half to an FBI consultant about the terrorism threat today. We're hearing that in New York City... There is a homegrown terror threat. So we want to know how you're weighing safety against the terrorist over and against the importance of the sanctity of human life. We've got callers already on the line. Caroline from Willow Park. Caroline, thank you for calling. What's your view? Well, um, of course, terrorism is a very um, difficult subject. It's dangerous. But if we can't even protect the life of the unborn, the the innocent lives of little babies, then then the rest of it doesn't matter to me. And there is no, I'm with Dr. Dobson and Dr. Lamb, there is no way that I would support Rudy Giuliani. He may be good um, fiscally and with terrorism and all of that, but if he won't protect human life, there's no way I could support him. It's interesting that when we look at the Declaration of Independence, 
that the first right is the right to life. And we're concerned about the terrorists killing us. But if we are killing unborn children, it seems like we undermine uh, the whole concern there for human life. You know, here's what Chris Davis, who uh, was mentioned in this Dallas Morning News article, and I know her well. She's a pro-life, pro-family uh, member of the Republican SREC committee. And she says uh, that if the terrorists come here, if we get infiltrated by terrorists here on our homeland, start fighting the war here, that's going to be paramount for her over pro-life. And in a sense, I think some people are saying, well, what's it going to matter if we're fighting the war on terrorism here? We won't be able to uh, protect human life in that sense either. So they're putting terrorism, perhaps, or at least thinking about putting ahead it ahead of the pro-life litmus test. All right, national security front and center today in the news. News breaking today that George Tennant, the former CIA director recognize the danger of an attack on 9-11. We're going to hear that report in the next segment. We're going to be talking to an FBI terrorism consultant about it. But all of this news uh, makes people think more about a security candidate like Giuliani, but he is not pro-life. Here's Giuliani again on abortion. I think we can agree, all of us on this stage, that we should seek reductions in abortion. I ultimately do believe in a woman's right of choice. But I think that there are ways in which we can reduce abortions. Abortions went down 16 percent when I was All right, there. Giuliani is saying there he wants to reduce abortion, but he does believe in a right of choice. And what he means by that is a right of choice to terminate the life of that unborn child. It's not just about choice. It's the choice to kill. We've got Rob on the line from Arlington. Rob, how do you feel about, is this a dilemma to you? Uh, no dilemma, Dr. Johnson. Uh, as you so eloquently uh stipulated uh this this life of the child is uh has its own dna the the child doesn't even have the mother's dna it's not the mother's right to choose what the child whether the child lives or dies the dna is totally different from the mother so it's individual people are even aware of that this is a unique human individual with his or her one-of-a-kind dna uh, profile. This is an individual. Uh, this is a person. And uh, But here's Giuliani again on abortion. There are people, millions and millions of Americans, who are as of good conscience as we are, who make uh, a different choice about abortion. And I think in a country where you want to keep government out of people's lives, or government out of people's lives from the point of view of coercion, you have to respect that. All right. He says keep government out of people's lives, but actually government is supposed to be in people's lives when it comes to them taking another life. And that's what abortion is all about. We want to know, do you believe you should consider, other Christians should consider going with Giuliani for terrorism reasons, to protect us from the terrorists, even though he is clearly pro-choice or pro-abortion. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. You know, there's a couple of things we have to consider here because this is a real uh, political calculation that we're looking at. Right now we're in a time where we actually, each party has the opportunity to choose the candidates and get behind who they want. But we're moving into the time when there are going to be primaries and when we're going to be looking at who could beat the Democrats. In a sense, I think there's a lot of this whole idea of, I don't want Hillary Clinton in the White House, and I don't think that so-and-so, so-and-so, who's so pro-life, can beat her, 
but I think Giuliani can't. I think some people are making that calculation, and sometimes that is politics. All right, we've got Bob on the line from Terrell. Bob, thank you for calling. Bob, do you feel conflicted on this kind of a choice for president? Yes, I do, because uh, Rudy Giuliani is not a good choice. He says keep uh, government out of people's lives. That's why as mayor he created Sanctuary City uh, in New York. Well, there it is, and he certainly uh, was providing for abortions. Certainly he seems to be open to the normalization of homosexual uh, relationships as well. So right down the line on the social issues, Giuliani not in step with conservative, traditional, biblical, pro-life kinds of people. Richard Land says he will not even consider voting for Giuliani. James Dobson says under no circumstances will he vote for Giuliani. What does that mean for them, for you? Catherine on the line from Fort Worth. Catherine, what's your view on this? Well, I think that um, I'm not for Giuliani. I'm not for uh, Mrs. Clinton. But I do believe this. I'm pro-life, and I do believe this, though, that we've got to have a strong leader against terrorism in this country because terrorism is not just about killing people. Terrorism is about taking over a government. Yes. And uh, uh, we could find ourselves in such a situation that we would need—we could end up in not even having a democratic government and a, and a right to choose anything. Thank you so much, Catherine, for calling. And uh, the latest poll shows Giuliani defeating Hillary Clinton. It also shows Fred Thompson defeating Clinton. Maybe conservative Christians will not have to choose between supporting Giuliani or Clinton. Maybe We're waiting. They'll, maybe they'll rally behind someone like Fred Thompson, an announcement expected after Labor Day. But we have got Lauren from Keller on the line. Lauren, what's your view? Hi, I just want to say thank you for your show. Um, I think that as Christians, our, our first concern really ought to be to honor the Lord. Um, we can trust that he'll take care of us as a nation as we honor him as as God. We need to recognize that uh, when he creates a life, uh, it's a created being in his image, and we need to um, honor that first and foremost. Thank you, Lauren, for that call. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. But terrorism certainly is in the news. New York City Police Department says they've got homegrown terrorists. The Taliban chief says today bin Laden is alive, and we hear the CIA director had some advanced knowledge of a threat on 9-11. We'll talk to an FBI expert about it all when we come back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today to register for the fall term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today to register for the fall term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. 
That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Well, that's President Bush. Shortly after 9-11, everyone remembers that scene and the resolve the nation felt when he grabbed that bullhorn and said, we're not going to take this. Today we hear that Osama bin Laden is still alive, according to an al-Qaeda chief. And they've got video that goes back to July. Another story out today, and I want you to listen very carefully to this. There is a report that says that the CIA chief, George Tennant, recognized the danger of an attack on the World Trade Center prior to 9-11, but didn't do really enough about it. Let's go to the report from the New York Times reporter, Mark Mazzetti, listen very carefully to this. After more than two years, the CIA has finally released its internal review of the missteps that led up to the September 11th attacks. The report was completed in the summer of 2005, but it's taken this long to come out, in part because several CIA directors have not wanted to air the CIA's dirty laundry. At the same time, the report specifically names several top CIA officials for an accounting for the missteps that led up to the September 11th attacks, including George Tenet, the former CIA director. The reports released today elicited a sharp rebuttal from Mr. Tenet, who called portions of the report, quote, flat wrong. He challenged the report's conclusion that the CIA never developed a comprehensive plan to take out al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. He said, in fact, he and his top officers did have such a plan. And he also challenged another of reports' conclusions, that funds were diverted away from counterterrorism efforts to other parts of the agency. Earlier this year, Mr. Tennant produced a memoir in which he said that the CIA's efforts against al-Qaeda were one of the successes of his tenure at the agency. So a report like this is bound to leave a black mark on Mr. Tennant's legacy. A lot of the narrative of the report has been out before, specifically in the September 11th Commission's report. Why was this report buried for so long? And here's the real question. Can we trust that our government is doing all they can do to protect us from terrorism? With us to talk about it is Dr. Harvey Kushner. He's an FBI terrorism consultant. He's written the book, Holy War on the Home Front. He is also a contributing editor to FamilySecurityMatters.org. That's FamilySecurityMatters.org. Welcome, Dr. Kushner. Well, thank you for having me. Dr. Kushner, why was this report buried for so long, and what are your reflections uh, on this revelation today? Well, you know, it it comes as no news to me. Uh, I'm I'm not here to pluck my book, but in Holy War I talk about uh, the knowledge about the World Trade Center as a target for, um, you know, more than 20 years. Uh, Our uh, intelligence-gathering agencies and law enforcement agencies, and and including the uh, the owners and uh, operators of the World Trade Center, knew was a target. They were not only told by the terrorists, they were told by other intelligence gathering agencies worldwide. So it, it Plus, we had an attack. People forget that there was. Well, we had an attack in 93, and prior to that, and I wrote the experts' report on that first attack, I was given documentation of um, uh, risk assessments that were done on the Trade Center 10 years, 15 years prior to it, which uh, identified exactly how the 93 attack would take place. So, you know, 
uh, our intelligence agencies, our law enforcement agencies, as well as you know the owners and operators of the towers, knew of its risk, knew that it was targeted. So uh, you know, as I as I was saying, uh, this doesn't come as a surprise to those of us who have always felt that it was the, the number one economic target worldwide. What's shocking about this is that you uh, even today, six years coming up on a six-year anniversary, so little has been done really to mitigate against the possibility of another significant American symbol being attacked by al-Qaeda or other um, Islamic terrorists that have um, targeted Americans both here and abroad for nearly 25 years. Dr. Harvey Kushner is our guest, and uh, he is a consultant with the FBI, and that's what I want to ask you about, Dr. Kushner, because you said now maybe not enough has been done since 9-11. I mean, mm-hmm. we've already gone back and, and documented the history before 9-11, right. but one of the problems that came out from the 9-11 Commission was that the FBI and the CIA weren't working together well right. enough. That's has right. any improvement taken place since well, 9-11? Well, there hasn't been improvement. There certainly has been some better relationships between the two agencies, but certainly not enough for me or others who follow this very closely and work with them to say that we've solved any of the problems. Uh, mainly because, uh, you know, on one level, political correctness uh, doesn't allow the leaders of both the CIA and the FBI to really do the right thing. Uh, they uh, try to talk in, in abstract terms, talk about terrorism as if it's some amorphous abstract concept, and they don't name our, our, uh, the people who target us, that's Islamic terrorists. And but you know a lot of the people who I train, uh, you know, FBI agents and others and other agencies, uh, there are many of them who understand what the nature of the problem is and, and try to do their best to deal with it. But uh, when it gets to the top level down in the Beltway, uh, you have still this political correctness that totally clouds our ability to really do the right thing and protect American citizens from the wrath of uh, of militant Islam. In a perfect world, what would the right thing be? Uh, to begin with, to identify who we're fighting. We're not fighting war on terrorism. We're not fighting the IRA. We're not fighting bad separatists. We're not fighting, fighting the shining path in South America. We're fighting a militant Islam and, and, and a good portion of the Islamic world. During World War II, political correctness didn't exist. We said we were fighting Nazi Germany. We were fighting fascist Italy and Imperial Japan. I, I beg anyone out there, I'll ask anyone out there to show me where our government really identifies enemy other than saying some abstract term like we're at war with terrorism. World War II, we were in a war with Blitzkrieg. We were in a war with uh, kamikazes. We were at war with specific individuals and specific nations. We were at war at the, the same in 2007. Uh, but unfortunately, political correctness has gone so far that rather than identify our enemy, we're opening up a public high school in New York City um, uh, to teach uh, the beauty of Islam. Dr. Harvey Kushner is contributing editor of FamilySecurityMatters.org. Uh, Dr. Kushner, I want you to listen to a couple of sound bites from President Bush. You will remember them well. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Okay, that was a joint session of Congress right after 9-11. Bipartisan applause across the board, across the line. Now, we're looking at two stories today. The Taliban chief says that bin Laden is still alive. Mm -hmm. We saw last week the New York City Police Department says we've got now homegrown Mm -hmm. terrorists in New York City. Mm -hmm. Do you think our our government is um, living up to that applause line? We will not tire. We will not falter. We will not fail. No, I I don't think they are. I think, quite frankly, I think the president... uh, 
his intentions are good. I think he's uh, certainly focused in on, on what the issues are, but certainly he's not getting support on the other side of the aisle. I mean, uh, if you look from Nancy Pelosi on down in the Democratic side, I think they're doing everything to stop us from fighting um, terrorism and Islamic terrorism. Um, quite frankly, uh, it's going to take another horrendous event, and I hate to say this, for Americans to wake up to uh, exactly what's happening uh, you know, across these United States. It's not that just New York is targeted. So is Dallas. So is uh, Fort Worth. So is many cities in Texas. In fact, you know, uh, if you look at Middle Eastern terrorist organizations, they've been very, had very um, interesting relationships down in, um, from Richardson, Texas, Hamas, yes, uh, through, yes. through Dallas. I mean, so th- this is not just a New York problem. It's not just a California, Chicago. It's the infiltration of our society and attack against our Judeo-Christian uh, heritage, which uh, brought us our experiment, which was our Constitution and our founding fathers, which uh, provided for the greatest political entity uh, this world has ever known. And we're at war with uh, militant Islam, and an Islam who uh, for centuries has uh, debated the, 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 the fruit of, of Western ideas and culture. Uh, make no mistake about it, this is not a faceless enemy, this is not somebody hiding behind a rock. This is somebody right. who is a, a significant portion of the world. I mean, there's 1.5 billion approximately Muslims in the world, and if you would say, okay, only a small number of 10% uh, would, would want to kill us. That's a pretty big number. Million, you know, <laughs> so uh, we're looking at very, very large numbers, uh, and we're trying to do this using Marcus of Queensbury rules of boxing yeah. when our enemies you know, will blow up a school. Dr. Harvey Kushner. Contributing editor of FamilySecurityMatters.org. He's an FBI terrorism consultant. Thank you for being with us today. My thank you. All right, folks, let's go back to President Bush talking about his resolve. President the only Bush. thing they can do is to kill innocent lives and try to shake our will. But they don't understand the United States of America. We will never be intimidated by thugs and assassins. We will defeat the enemy and win the war on terror. All right, that's President Bush on the resolve that we won't give up. And we've looked at this scripture many times, but you need to remember this verse, all right? Romans 13, 4. The government leader, here it is, is a minister of God for good. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is a minister of God, an avenger, to execute wrath on him that doeth evil. Our government leaders have one main assignment according to the Bible, and that is to protect us from those who would kill, would kill, and those who would destroy, and those who would terrorize. He is an avenger. The general is an avenger. The army soldier is an avenger. The president is an avenger. That is job number one, according to the Constitution as well, to protect us from um, enemies, foreign and, yes, uh, domestic President Bush today also said there's a history lesson to be learned about all of this. The ideals and interests that led America to help the Japanese turn defeat into democracy are the same that lead us to remain engaged in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he went on to say there's a lesson in Korea. The defense strategy that refused to hand the South Koreans over to a totalitarian neighbor helped raise up an Asian tiger that is the model for developing countries across the world including the Middle East. Here's what the president is saying. Learn from history. If we just beat them down and leave, um, they'll grow, those weeds will go right back. Terrorists will come right back. 
We need to do what we did in Japan. We need to do what we did in Korea, stay the course, help this new government get on their feet, and we could see a good ally develop in that region. When we come back, John F. Kennedy. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. I would reckon you recognize that voice. John F. Kennedy, President of the United States, casting a vision for space exploration, but also, I think, reacting back against uh, the Sputnik challenge and his nemesis, Khrushchev. And he had a nemesis, Castro, and other communists in general. Let's talk about him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest says that the assassination of President Kennedy actually changed the face of liberalism in America and liberals really by refusing to admit that this uh, the JFK assassination was actually perpetrated by a communist. Instead, they were blaming hatred and bitterness. Sounds familiar, blaming terrorism uh, of the American bigots, the bigots that were in America. He says this changed what we knew as liberalism. And that's a very interesting thesis. We're going to talk about it with James Pearson. He is author of a new book, Camelot and the Cultural Revolution, How the Assassination of John F. Kennedy Shattered American Liberalism. And uh, James, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Panna. Happy to be here. Tell us about how liberalism changed. Well, you summarized it quite nicely in just a few words, Panna. (laughs) Uh, the, The assassination of President Kennedy was, of course, a shocking event. No one expected it. Uh, uh, a young, vigorous president with a beautiful wife and two uh, charming children shot down uh, on the streets of Dallas. His wife there, Governor Connolly there. Um, it was it was an event that everyone who was alive remembered uh, till the day they die. Um, it was also a discordant event for liberals because Kennedy was assassinated by a communist. This proved to be a very difficult fact for them to accept. Uh, All of the liberal thinking through the 1950s and into the 1960s, and was even expressed by President Kennedy many times, suggested that the great danger to American democracy came from irrational elements of what they called the radical right. And the radical right consisted of uh, people like Senator McCarthy, who were extreme anti-communists. It consisted of people who might have been racial bigots. It consisted of people that were they called uh, religious fundamentalists, who were very influential in talk radio circles in the 1950s and 1960s. This is sounding so familiar. Yes, and, and this collection of forces they thought was a great threat to American democracy. And of course, uh, in the uh, in the months leading up to the Kennedy assassination, there is a fair amount of violence against civil rights workers in the American South. Uh, indeed, uh, the uh, ambassador to the United Nations, Adlai Stevenson, made a trip to Dallas in October of 1963 and was heckled uh, during his speech. So all of the events leading up to Kennedy's visit to Dallas suggested 
that uh, he was in danger, perhaps, from forces from what they call the radical right. And when he was assassinated by a communist, uh, this proved to be a very incongruous event that was hard to accept. In the aftermath of the assassination, they all said, almost to a man and woman, that Kennedy was a victim of what they call the climate of intolerance and hate in America. Indeed, as you know, they blamed Dallas most unfairly uh, for this. And I suggest in the book that this interpretation of Kennedy's death introduced into the ranks of liberalism and the American left a spirit of hatred for America, a spirit of pessimism about the future, and a spirit of nostalgia for the past with the idea that uh, we could never repeat the kind of uh, the, the ideals and the glorious years of uh, John F. Kennedy. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to James Pearson. He's written a book, Camelot and the Cultural Revolution, How the Assassination of JFK Shattered American Liberalism. You know, you mentioned Dallas. One thing that happened that day is they showed on television uh, the school children getting out and cheering when they got out of school, and they actually were engaged in a kind of spin that they were cheering the death of the president. I mean, that's just one little anecdote of a thing that happened on that day that I've read about. And uh, you're right, though, this thing was magnified across the country. Let me ask you this uh, about the way liberals uh, today claim JFK. Wasn't he, in fact, uh, in economic policy, a conservative? Didn't he say the best way to to increase the federal treasury and the uh, income for government is to cut taxes, not to raise them. He was a supply-sider, wasn't he? He was one of the original uh, supply-siders. That's absolutely right, Jerry. He, in 1963, of course, he said a rising tide lifts all boats. And he said the best way for uh, the, uh, the government treasury to increase was to cut taxes and therefore provide incentives for economic growth. He cut the highest marginal rate from 91%. FDR had put it, down to below 70%. He wanted to reduce it further, but Congress wouldn't let him. Ronald Reagan, of course, picked up that theme in the early 1980s, quoted Kennedy, cut those rates further from 70% down to 35%. And uh, in both cases, that policy was vindicated by a period of strong economic growth. And on communism, I mean, you see today liberals wanting to go down and uh, cozy up to Castro. Do you think Kennedy would have any part of that? Absolutely not. Kennedy wanted to get rid of Castro. He saw uh, Castro as an enemy of the United States who was promoting revolution in other countries, uh, and uh, he did everything in his power to get rid of Castro. Um, the, the assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, saw Castro as a hero, mm. and the reason he assassinated President Kennedy was to interrupt Kennedy's efforts to assassinate Castro and overthrow Castro's regime in Cuba. That's why Oswald acted as he did. Hmm. Uh, it had nothing whatever to do with civil rights or bigotry or intolerance or anything like that. Kennedy was a casualty of the Cold War. One thing that was very influential about Kennedy is he wanted to fight the Cold War on the level of ideas. He believed that freedom was far superior to communism and that uh, this case ought to be made. He went to Berlin and contrasted West Berlin with East Berlin. And he said this was the difference between freedom and tyranny. Uh, and free Berlin was thriving and growing. Uh, communist Berlin was not growing. It was a dour and gray place. And Kennedy highlighted that difference. Uh, 
and he was very popular in Europe. Uh, his death was, in that sense, a great loss for America because we did lose a champion of freedom and liberty. James Pearson has been our guest, and we so appreciate uh, your take on this, James, and thank you so much for being with us. It sounds like a fasci- uh, fascinating book. Happy to be here, Jenna. Thanks very much. Dr. Johnson, you know, um, Kennedy, I mean, I still don't want to glorify liberalism uh, because, I mean, personally, I've been a conservative even back then when I was a kid, but uh, Kennedy had sort of a positive sense that you don't hear from liberals these days. It's, 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 uh, there's a, it tends to be a negative view on American society, and he did communicate sort of a positive view, a positive outlook that I think is missing. Of course, he didn't really get out of his honeymoon uh, period before he was taken down by the assassin. All right, folks, we're in Dallas. Obviously, many of you have memories of that assassination, and we're going to open up the lines right now as we talk about President Kennedy, as we reflect upon the assassination, as we think of his policies. Where were you on that day? How did you feel about that assassination? How do you feel now looking back upon his presidency or comparing John F. Kennedy with Teddy Kennedy or John F. Kennedy with Democrats today? 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Listen right now to John F. Kennedy. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. Okay, well, you don't hear liberals talking like that today. Uh, He talked earlier about the fact that we do this because it's hard, we do this because it's difficult, we do this because it's a challenge. And you hear today sort of the easy road approach from so many liberals. And uh, John F. Kennedy, a visionary, no doubt. We've got Steve on the line from Roy City. Steve, what are your reflections on President Kennedy upon the assassination, if you remember it? Yeah, my opinion is uh, he was a good president, but I, I honestly believe that his father, uh, unloading the stock market when it when it went down in 29, he was telling everybody, bye, bye, bye. And I think that was uh, what got all of his kids killed. Wow. Well, uh, Joe Kennedy was a very unusual character, made a lot of money on alcohol, a lot of money on uh, running a political machine, and uh, really messed up in World War II. He was the ambassador to England, and he sided with Hitler early on and advised England to appeasement and to compromise. He, He messed up in a lot of ways. But uh, he planned for his son to become president of the United States and was able to deliver the vote in a cliffhanger not unlike 2000. If you want to go and read about someone buying votes and stacking uh, the ballot boxes, uh, read about Joe Kennedy changing that election overnight. We've got Kay on the line from Fort Worth. Kay, thank you for calling. What are your memories of John F. Kennedy? Well, it's very unusual. I was in sixth grade um, at that time, and I went to school at Castleberry elementary, actually the Sansom Park Elementary at that time, uh, in River Oaks, Texas. And President Kennedy was in town at that time that morning. Um, he was at a breakfast uh, in downtown Fort Worth, and then his motorcade headed to Carswell Air Force Base to take Air Force One to Dallas. And we, as the kids at the school, um, our entire school 
loaded on buses and went and stood along River Oaks Boulevard. Hey, Kay, let me interrupt you because I'm up on a hard break. Would you hold over? We want to hear this story. This sounds like a very interesting story. Could you hold for five minutes and come right back on? Certainly. And let's finish that story. We'll hear about Kay and JFK when we come back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Chriswell College. Contact us today to register for the fall term. Chriswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Chriswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Chriswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today to register for the fall term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Why don't we just ask Osama, bin Laden, Osama Obama, uh, Obama what there is, uh, since um, he won by such a big amount. That is John F. Kennedy's brother. He is still with us, Senator Teddy Kennedy, trying to figure out the difference between Osama bin Laden and um, Barack Obama, and I think he did figure it out in the end, but we're talking about John F. Kennedy, his legacy, your memory of that day when he was assassinated. We have Kay on the line. Kay was telling us that she was in a local school, and I believe you were saying, Kay, that you went out to to see this event with President Kennedy. Finish that story, if you would. Yes, we were in Fort Worth that morning. Um, he had been at a breakfast um, at uh, one of the hotels in downtown Fort Worth, and was going to go to uh, Carswell Air Force Base, catch Air Force One, and fly to Dallas. And we loaded up on the buses, uh, the school did, and we went out and lined the boulevard where the motorcade would pass by so that we could greet and, hello, you know, wave and all of that. And the high school band um, actually led the procession through the little town of River Oaks. And so we were all so excited as sixth graders, and we got to see the president and Mrs. Kennedy as they came by in the, in the motorcade. And they went on, um, got back on the buses, and went back to school. And, of course, we were all just so excited because we'd seen the President of the United States. We had not been back at school 30 minutes when there was an announcement over the loudspeaker that the President had indeed been shot and had died. And talk about deflating the bubble. Um, I, it was just a, a memory for me that I will absolutely never forget, that feeling of loss. Um, it was so personal to us because we had just seen him. Well, he was a charismatic president. He was a young president. Most people don't know this. He was the first president not to wear a hat. He changed men's clothing. After Kennedy, men just quit wearing hat with their business suits, quit wearing hats. It's kind of interesting. But he certainly was a visionary when it came to space. He was conservative on fiscal policy. He was anti-communist. And uh, we've been talking about his legacy, his life, and his death in Dallas. Were you here that day? What do you remember about it? We've got Mary Elizabeth on the line. Mary Elizabeth, thank you for holding. What's your story? 
I grew up in Washington, D.C., and lived there for 26 years. And I was actually placing flowers on my father and mother's grave. It happened to be my father's birthday, November 22nd. He was born November 22nd, 1899. Wow. And I was born when he was 40. And today is my 68th birthday. Congratulations. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to Thank you. Thank you. And I think I was six, 24, whatever. I'm 68 today. Mm. And I was placing flowers on my father's grave, and I'd just become engaged to be married. And we were driving out, or well, I was driving out, um, and in, in driving out of Arlington National Cemetery, and there I heard the news when I turned on the radio of my sports car, and I couldn't believe it. I just was so shocked, and I'll never forget that memory. I, I'm a conservative, but um, I admired his intelligence, his intelligence and his wit, and um, he... He, he was a charming man. He was charming, and I had a, had an occasion to meet Robert Kennedy when he was Attorney mm. General, um, and he was charming, too. Do you think Teddy Kennedy measures up to those two? I couldn't say. I really never met him. I really don't know, sir. But, um, we'll no. talk about it. someone who changed the face of liberalism. Teddy Kennedy has certainly done that in the Senate. <laughs> no, I would say... I have to say, no, I do not. I do not think he measures up to Robert or to John. Mm. Well, they could have been president. One of them was. The other one might have been president. And uh, Teddy Kennedy uh, never made it. Thank you so much, Mary Elizabeth, for that call and for that memory. Um, Here's President Reagan. And really, he's talking about the difference between the culture in the time of JFK and and even really 20 years later, how America changed when it came to religion and politics. When John Kennedy was running for president in 1960, he said that his church would not dictate his presidency any more than he would speak for his church. Just so, and proper. But John Kennedy was speaking in an America in which the role of religion, and by that I mean the role of all churches, was secure. Abortion was not a political issue. Prayer was not a political issue. The right of church schools to operate was not a political issue. And it was broadly acknowledged. That was here in Dallas in 1984, Penna. Well, it was. And uh, we don't live in that kind of a society anymore. Religious values are not a given in this culture anymore. And we we have been this week, and we're going to continue to talk about the role of religion the role of evangelicals in the culture and even in the founding of our nation, the role of Christianity. And I think it's a very important issue for us to bring back from time to time. The interview you did today with Alan Dershowitz is very important, and I think that refuting some of the statements that he's made uh, is going to be key for us Christians to understand our role in securing the future. You mentioned Alan Dershowitz. Here he is. Here's a little tidbit of what you're going to get on Friday. He believed in a creator. He believed that the world was created and that the clockmaker God, the God who created the universe, then stepped back and doesn't intervene in human affairs, doesn't uh, accept prayer, uh, is not the Lord of hosts, the Lord of battle, that he is not the father of Jesus, that he did not write the Ten Commandments, 
that, in fact, Jefferson thought the Ten Commandments were very deficient because they included a provision. All right, that's Alan Dershowitz. He's written a book called Blasphemy, How the Religious Right Has Hijacked the Declaration of Independence. We had an exclusive interview with him this morning. We're going to play that entire interview on Friday. David Barton, an expert on the Declaration and Constitution and the Founding Fathers, will be here to answer Mr. Dershowitz. You do not want to miss this interview, what he's had to say about evangelicals and the religious right. Very provocative, and we're excited about this program it's going to be on Friday, great. 5 o'clock this Friday. I remember several years ago, I was touring the Texas School Book Depository, the site from which Lee Harvey Oswald is alleged to have shot President Kennedy, and I actually believe he did. And I was touring that site, and I was right behind a man, and I recognized his voice after a while, and he turned around, and it was Adrian Rogers, the pastor. Really? And we were looking at all of that memorial, really, about the life and legacy of John F. Kennedy, and then about his death. Um, So much of the memorial, the museum, is about the death, about the assassination. And uh, Dr. Rogers talked about that death right there as a crowd gathered. He talked about the death of this president, the death of this one man, and how important that was in that building. But he said, you know, what was the meaning? What was the outcome? And he said, actually... This shows the difference in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his death had a meaning and had a purpose. He died for our sins on a cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He was seen by hundreds. That is a a tragic death that had a victorious meaning. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.